Good morning. Turning your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, we're continuing this study that was started last week on the book of Galatians. And we're going to read verses 10 through 12 uh, to get us started this morning. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. I'm reading from New American Standard Bible. Paul writes, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do just come and we pray as we look into this very important book that you would be pleased to solidify our faith, to equip us, to take this wonderful message of salvation through Jesus Christ alone uh, to a needy world. And so we pray as we look into your word that you would uh, speak to our hearts because we ask it in Jesus' name. J.B. Nicholson Jr. has a little uh, ministry he does where he in four or five minutes summarizes a whole book of the Bible. And so we're going to watch a, a short video by J.B. Nicholson. It'll be like drinking from a fire hydrant, but uh, just to give you an overview of the whole book. So at this time, they'll show that video. A.T. Robertson calls this epistle a bugle blast of freedom. Scholars may debate whether the letter was sent to North or South Galatia and disagree about the date of its writing, but no one should mistake Paul's message. The letter is unusual in that it's written not to an individual like Timothy, Titus, or Philemon, or to a local assembly like Corinthians, Philippians, or Colossians, but to a group of churches in the region once known as Asia Minor, now in the land of Turkey. It's also different from Paul's other letters because he usually begins with an encouraging look at the believer's position in Christ. He's generally slow to what we call the point. Having read the first chapters of Philippians or Colossians, we might think, what an ideal church. But Paul then turns from their position in Christ to their present condition and the need to be conformed more into his image. Most of the first century saints, we discover, pretty much struggled with the same problems we do. But Galatians has no gentle beginning. Paul immediately launches into his concern for them. He presents his twofold theme in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, the grace of Christ and the gospel of Christ. To Paul, you couldn't have one without the other. The grace of Christ was the oxygen that gave life to the gospel. A dangerous heresy was gaining strength in the church, imported from Jerusalem, they were claiming that salvation required both faith in Christ and the keeping of the law. Paul's rebuttal in Galatians is crystal clear. It seemed that in order to push their perverted gospel, these Judaizers found it necessary to undermine Paul's influence among the Christians. But he shows that in Galatians chapter 1 and 2, that number one, his gospel came directly from heaven, from Christ himself. Two, 
that the other apostles in Jerusalem were in perfect agreement with the gospel that he preached, and three, that when Peter linked himself with some of these Judaizers, Paul stood up to him, and the Christians agreed that Peter's position was wrong and Paul's was right. The epistle has a simple three-part outline. Chapters 1 and 2 present Christian experience as authenticating salvation by grace alone. Chapters 3 and 4 present Christian doctrine as requiring salvation by grace alone. And chapters 5 and 6 present Christian character as the fruit of salvation by grace alone. Although Paul is very straight with the believers, this epistle has some of the sweetest statements in the Bible. Chapter 2 and 20 has given many the secret of victory. The description of the fruit of the Spirit should inspire us to daily abide in Christ. And we with Paul can revel in the wonder that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And that's a scripture snapshot of the book of Galatians. Well, we can have the ushers come forward and bring the quizzes. <clears throat> but hopefully that gives you an overview of, of what we're going to be uh, looking at uh, over the next several weeks as we look at this book of Galatians. Uh, in, in our section today, we're going to be looking at the source of Paul's authority. And uh, I like Galatians because there's something here for everyone. If you're a person that likes human interest kind of stuff, chapters 1 and 2 describe Paul and his, how the gospel had changed his life and how he's uh, strongly defending the gospel. In chapters 3 and 4, if, if you're a person who, when you buy a car, you want to open the hood and look at the engine and get into all the nuts and bolts, chapters 3 and 4 are doctrinal, and it lays out uh, the truths of justification by grace through faith alone. If you're a person that you don't, like me, I never look under the hood. Um, I leave that to other people. But if you say, I just want a car that will get me from this place to that place, then chapters 5 and 6 talk about the Christian life and talk about how God can change our lives, and it's through the power of the gospel. And so these are, are tremendous uh, passages. Um, and let me just kind of, uh, again, like Jabe did, give a little uh, thought about what's in each section. It will begin with chapters 3 and 4. In chapters 3 and 4, this is the message. Jesus is enough to save. Jesus doesn't need any helping hand. Jesus alone, by his work at the cross, can save a person from, from sin and make them right in the presence of God. In chapters uh, 5 and 6, the message is, the work of Jesus Christ and his sending the Spirit is enough to change your life. The, the Judaizers had all these hoops that Christians needed to jump through. We find it again in the book of Colossians. Uh, do you want to be a little C Christian or a big C Christian? Well, here's how you become a big C Christian. You do this and you do this. And, and the word of God says, listen, if you walk by the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit will be in your life. 
The work of Christ is enough to change your life. And so when we come to chapters 1 and 2, and Paul is facing people who are undermining the gospel, who are, who are attacking him because they're, they're attacking Paul, but really what they're doing is they're attacking his message. He responds with a great deal of vigor to, to refute that. And we saw that, you saw that last week. Um, look at verse 8 of chapter 1. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's about as strong as it gets. And Paul says, listen, what I'm going to talk to you about is life and death material. People who out there believe it's Jesus plus are lost. And they need to know that there's a salvation through Jesus Christ that's enough for him uh, to satisfy God. So let's quickly review some of the things that I'm sure were discussed last week. The author is the Apostle Paul. It's written to the churches founded on the first missionary journey uh, recorded in Acts 13 and 14 in the cities of Antioch, Lystra, Iconium, and Derbe. The book was written around A.D. 48 to 49. It's written after the first missionary journey, chapters 13 and 14, and before the Jerusalem Council in chapter 15. This is probably the second New Testament book written. Possibly James was first, but this is the first letter of Paul out there because somebody's attacking his gospel. He is attacking the work. The problem is Judaizers. Well, who were they? In Acts chapter 15, verse 1, uh, at the, the um, Council of Jerusalem, uh, it says, Some men from Judea came down and began teaching the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. These men came from Jerusalem down to Antioch where Paul and Barnabas were teaching and they said, listen, if you want the benefits of a Jewish Messiah, you've got to become a Jew. You need to be circumcised. And so they went up to Jerusalem to, to sort this matter out. And in verse 5, uh, it says, some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. If you want to be saved, you need to be circumcised and you've got to keep the law. All the different, uh, not just the Ten Commandments, but all the little details of the law. You have to do that if you want to be saved. And so they were attacking this gospel that, that Jesus was enough. And so Paul says in verses 6 and 7 of Galatians that you saw last week, he says to the Galatians, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He said, these men are coming in and and why are you so quickly abandoning Jesus Christ for this false gospel, this distorted gospel? And so he's going to um, argue uh, about the truth of the gospel. 
they had another gospel. Over in chapter 2, verse 4, it says, But it was because of false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ, in order to bring us into bondage. We have freedom in Christ. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the control of sin. And they want to bring us in and get our focus off of Christ and get our focus on a route that's, that leads to bondage. And so Paul is going to um, deal with this and he's going to begin to talk about his authority. So let's look at uh, verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. This is the first of the, of the two key verses in, in this first passage. One of the things that they were claiming about Paul is, you know, Paul, he told you you could get there without uh, needing to be circumcised. He told you you could be saved with, without keeping the law. But, you know, Paul just changes his message based on his audience. He wants to please men. He's not about pleasing God. He's about pleasing men. And Paul says, think back to your experience with me. Was I trying to please men? And, and the way it's constructed, it, it, he's expecting a negative answer because it's really true. Paul came into Antioch and he preached and they persecuted him and drove him out of town. Does that sound like a man who's trying to please men? He went down to Iconium and he preached, and they, they tried to stone him. So he went to Lystra, and they did stone him and drag him out of the city, thinking he was dead. If Paul was trying to please men, he was really bad at it. <laughs> and the Galatians knew this. And Paul says, I'm not trying to please men, and I want you to catch this. He says at the end of verse 10, for if I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. There's a passion that the gospel is meant to create in our hearts. Paul says, why was I willing to preach when I knew they were going to persecute me? Why was I willing to preach and even put my life on the line? Why was I willing to give out this gospel that Jesus Christ is enough? if all these bad things are going to happen to me. Because he changed my life. He saved me. And I am a slave of the heart to Jesus Christ. Are you a bondservant of Jesus Christ? Has the salvation of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ left heaven's glory came down here, went to the cross, bore your sins in his own body on the tree so that as a free gift, he could give you eternal life? Does that move you to want to live for him? It did Paul. It did Paul. And so Paul diminishes that, that first argument. And so he comes in verses 11 and 12, the second set of key verses for the, the other 
attack. Verse 11, for I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but I received it from a revelation of Jesus Christ. Periodically in the history of the church, there have been attempts um, to create a perception of a division between the message of Christ and the message of Paul. In 2009, I was invited to go out to New Jersey and speak at a conference about a major movement in, uh, in the church. And uh, there were some concerns about this movement. And so as I researched, I found that one of the, the leaders of this movement was saying, evangelicalism has left Christianity and become Paulinity. We need to get back to the message and vision of Jesus Christ. As though Jesus Christ had one set of, of ideas and one message, and Paul had a different message. And Paul, look, at, look again at, at verse 12. Um, For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's gospel is Christ's message. It came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is no longer present on earth. Jesus Christ selected and commissioned men called the apostles to carry his message of salvation to the world and to instruct those who would be believers in it. Paul is saying to the Galatians, the gospel preached by me came from the very lips of Jesus Christ. And that truth is just as important to believers today as it was to the believers in Galatia. This book is the very word of God. When John speaks, God is speaking. When Paul speaks, God is speaking. When James speaks, God is speaking. That's what Paul's saying. What I communicated to you is the very, in Colossians he'll call it, the very word of Christ. And it's important for us to recognize the authority of our message. There are those out there who say, well, that's what Paul thinks. No, that's not what Paul thinks. That's what Jesus commanded Paul to teach. And Paul gets pretty excited about this. And so Paul is going to go through his whole life and show that there's no place in his life where someone gave him the message. That the message came from Jesus Christ. And so he offers three proofs that his message did not have its source in men. The first proof is found in verses 13 and 14. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God, and beyond measure tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. And so Paul looks at his past life in Judaism. And 
He says this, in my former manner of life, there was no place in my former manner of life that would teach me this gospel that faith in Jesus Christ is enough to satisfy God. Far from it. He says, I was zealous to advance as a Pharisee in Judaism. My whole life was trying to get ahead of others, trying to be more religious, try to keep the law better, try to know the word of God better, elbowing, pushing my way to the top of the group. It was all about my efforts, not my need of a savior. He said, in fact, um, I was driven to excel over other Jews of my own age. He says, I was zealous in, in my studies of the law and the rabbinical traditions. And my response to the church and the message of the church when I first heard it was to be a fanatical persecutor of it. When he's uh, speaking before King Agrippa, uh, when he's in prison in, in Caesarea Philippi, he says in Acts 26, 9 through 11, So then I thought to myself I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but, I, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I... And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme, being furiously enraged at them, and I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Paul said, if you had known me back then, you would know I wouldn't be standing before you saying, Jesus Christ is enough to save you from lost eternity. I was enraged at the name of Jesus Christ. It was like waving a red flag in front of a bull. That's how I was. Where did, where did this gospel that I'm preaching now come from? It didn't come from my early life in Judaism. He moves on to his second proof. His earliest Christian activity, verses 15 through 17. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Paul lists three things God did for him in this passage. God set him apart from birth, Paul knew that God had providentially set him apart from birth and that all his life to this point was a preparation for his ministry as a proclaimer of the gospel of God's grace. You know, Paul knew Judaism better than the Judaizers did. He had been immersed in it. He had lived that life. And he says, so God used my life, from, from my birth, he used my whole life up to the point of where I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior because he knew the ministry he was going to call me to. He says God called him through his grace. You know, Paul never got over the grace God had shown to him in salvation. There are a number of places in the epistles where he refers to his salvation and he always mentions God's grace. 1 Corinthians 15, 
verses 9 to 10. For I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me did not prove in vain, but I labored more than them all. Yet not I, but the grace of God in me. Paul says, listen, it was all God's grace. It was all God's grace. Instead of pumping himself up like he did in Judaism and saying, listen to me, look at my background. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He's saying, I'm the least of the apostles. <laughs> I, I'm the worst. I persecuted the church. God never should have given me this position. But God in his grace saved me from a lost eternity. And God in his grace gave me this ministry. And even the work I'm doing, even though I'm laboring as hard as I can, it's God's grace that's doing it. It's from beginning to end. It's the grace of God. And then he says, God was pleased to reveal his son in Paul. God gave Paul an outward vision of Christ on Damascus Road. You know the story. He was going to Damascus to, to arrest Christians up there. He, he arrested him. He threw him in prison. He voted for death for them. And on the way, a great light from heaven struck him down. And a voice said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus of Nazareth. In, again, Acts 26, Paul gives a, a little fuller account. Uh, it says, beginning in verse 14, when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to anoint, appoint you as a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance amongst those who have been sanctified by faith in me. He gave him an outward vision there on the road to Damascus and later the Lord Jesus would give inner revelations to Paul concerning the full significance of the work and person of Christ. And the purpose was so that Paul might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul's conversion and commission owned nothing to men. It was of God. Paul didn't go up to Jerusalem and, and Peter recruited him and said, hey, you're a pretty good understander of the Old Testament. You're a pretty good speaker. We'd like to have you join our team. No, that, Jesus Christ, by his grace, stopped Paul's crazy road that he was on, brought him up short, revealed himself to Paul, and Paul received him as his Savior. And then the Lord Jesus called him to be an apostle. After salvation, he says in, in verse 
um, 16, to reveal a son in me, I might preach among Gentiles. I immediately did not consult with flesh and blood. After salvation, he didn't consult with men, nor did he go up to Jerusalem to those and catch these words who were apostles before him. He knew he was an apostle because Jesus Christ commissioned him on the road to Damascus. He didn't need to go and talk to Peter and John. He had talked to the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus had called him and commissioned him. Those are the same words that the Lord Jesus used when, when he said to Peter and the apostles, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, maybe John the Baptist, maybe a prophet, maybe this. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. And here he's saying flesh and blood. I didn't consult with flesh and blood. I had it from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I had no need to go up to Jerusalem. I had no need to um, consult with those. So what did he do? Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Apparently there was a, a period of time it's three years from his conversion before he goes up to Jerusalem again. And during those years, uh, when he says Arabia, it doesn't mean he went clear down into Saudi Arabia. The kingdom of Arabia went up not very many miles from Damascus. But somewhere in that kingdom of, of Arabia, Paul went out and spent some time in the Old Testament. This student of the Old Testament had his world turned upside down. And so he began to look into the Old Testament for those things concerning Christ. Christ met with him and revealed things to him. In uh, 1 Corinthians 11, he talks to, to the saints about the breaking of bread. And he says, how the Lord revealed to me on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. Peter didn't hear that, or Paul didn't hear that from other apostles. The Lord Jesus, as part of this instruction time, took him through those events on the night before he died. And so he, he received uh, revelations from Jesus Christ. He, he spent time meditating on the Old Testament and what um, it said about Christ. terrible when you turn your papers upside down and then you got to find out where you are and you're always hoping it's here somewhere Paul's point in this section is that he formed his theology of who Jesus Christ was and what the gospel message was apart from flesh and blood, apart from others. He didn't consult with others. Independently, Jesus revealed it to him. Well, what about his contact with them? Verse 18, he talks about his short visit to Jerusalem. 
Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God, I am not lying. Paul went up to Jerusalem. It was a very short visit. He was only there 15 days. Why? Because he began to preach. He began to engage in dialogue with, with Jews who didn't believe in Jesus Christ. And they plotted to kill him. And so the apostles told him, you need to go away. And uh, in Acts 22, Paul shares that he had a vision from the Lord Jesus saying, leave this place because they're, they're going to attempt to kill you. So he was only there 15 days. He went up to make the acquaintance of Peter, and he also met James, the Lord's brother. But it wasn't to confer with them. It wasn't to get their um, approval of him. He knew who he was in Jesus Christ. He had been commissioned personally by Jesus Christ. He had been given a mission and a message to carry with from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he, he went up um, to meet Peter and he had to leave Jerusalem because of a plot against his life. There's no suggestion in, in that visit that Peter gave him theological instruction or any endorsement for his ministry. No doubt the Judaizers are claiming that Paul had misrepresented his relationship to the apostles. So Paul puts himself under oath, calling on God to be a witness. My apostleship came from Jesus Christ. My message came from Jesus Christ. This is the message. Jesus Christ and I are speaking the same truth. There's no distinction between us. Then Paul went to Syria and Cilicia. He says in verse 21, Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea which were in Christ. He hadn't spent enough time in Jerusalem to even be known. They couldn't pick Paul out of a lineup. They didn't know who he was because he hadn't been there that long. But they had heard but only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. They were hearing, Paul is now preaching the same message we're carrying. And they glorified God because of me. Paul says, where in my life, and he'll continue in chapter 2, uh, going through other visits to Jerusalem to show that his ministry and his message came straight from Christ. And that these who, who are trying to distort the gospel message by making it Jesus plus are not giving you the truth. Well, what lessons do we draw from this? First, the gospel should produce a passion for serving Christ in our lives. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15, For the love of Christ controls us, 
Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Paul says, if you really understand the love of Jesus Christ for you, and what he did to save you from a lost eternity, the only right response is to say, from my heart, I am your slave forever. The gospel is meant to produce a passion for service for Christ. And secondly, it's meant to produce a confidence in the word of God. Jesus Christ worked in the life of Paul so that you could have the very word of God in your hands. Why? Because God wants to speak to you. And so you have this book. Did you open it this week? This book that God so guided Paul and John and the others in the writing of the very words so that every word was the word God wanted written because he wants to change your life. He wants to save you from a lost eternity and he wants to change your life into a life that honors and pleases God. Did you read it? Are you committed when you read it to bow to its authority and obey it? Do you share it? Is there a confidence in your life that those who are believing another gospel are lost? I remember going to a funeral of a man who was a next-door neighbor and hearing the preacher say, listing all the things this guy had done in the community, all the things that this guy had, had done and saying, boy, when God drew, drew, drew him in in his net, he was a big enough fish to cape. And I know how often my mom and dad tried to approach him with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he, he constantly was being told, you're doing enough to win approval with God. If there's someone here, and you're trying to earn your way to heaven... You're not going to make it. But God wants to give it to you as a gift through the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is enough by himself. His work is enough to completely save. Jesus is enough to change your life. And that's Paul's message. And he's passionate about it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you We thank you that you loved us enough to save us and give it to us as a gift. We thank you for Paul's passion to keep the, the trumpet call of God's grace and salvation by grace through faith alone. Help us to have a passion for serving the Lord Jesus, for trumpeting out this very same message because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.